Good morning. There we go. We're alive. This morning, uh, we're talking about raising up the next generation. So if you're a parent in the house or if you uh, are not a parent, uh, the Lord can still speak to you uh, through the Word, through Luke chapter 2 is where we're at this morning. Luke chapter 2, verse 41 is where we're going to start. Luke being in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Luke chapter 2. Verse 41 is where we're going to start. So if you're a parent, child of God, whoever this morning, I hope that as you as we go through these verses, we're going to go just a few verses at a time, and I hope that the Lord will encourage your socks off. I hope that uh, the Lord will make you laugh at yourself, and I hope that the Lord will uh, help you see that all of the pressure, especially for you parents, that you put on yourself, it probably comes not from anyone else, but from you. And today, I hope that just as we sang, where the Lord is, there we are, and we are free. And I hope that truth will sink into to our, our brain this morning. So, uh, notice in verse... 41 of chapter 2. Now, to give us some context, we just had Christmas, right? And so, uh, 12 years has passed since the birth of Jesus. And basically, you're going to see what happens is that Jesus comes up missing. Now, that is never good when you lose the Son of God. But let's see what happens in verse 41. It says, Now his parents went to Jerusalem. Where did they go? Jerusalem. Every year at the feast of the Passover, and when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. Now, what's the application of these two verses? There's probably all kinds of things that you could take to apply to your life, but what I see is that every year, they stopped what they were doing, they packed up their bags, and they traveled as a family to Jerusalem. They did it to pay respect to the Lord, and they did it to remember the Passover, when God passed over their home way back when. In Egypt. And out of respect, out of worship to the Lord, they did that as a family. And so it seems to me that it would be wise for, for all families to take a once a year, at least once a year, take a vacation or a staycation, if you want to stay at home, um, uh, or something. Now, no one else going, not little Johnny's friend or, Aunt, or cousin Sally, but just as a family. What if that was normal for our children? And if you don't have the money, maybe we pray and think about what we can cut out. Maybe change the lifestyle. Maybe uh, sell something. Maybe uh, sell, sell a car and buy a cheaper one. Do whatever it takes. Once a year for a family to be together, to be away. Does that sound radical? That is radical in our culture. Well, your job doesn't allow for it. Well, I would pray, pray now for a new job. I mean, start now. It might not, you might not see the fruit of that prayer until five years down the road, but I would start today praying, that, even, even taking less money. What's, what's more important? You being you know, great financially and, and being able to self-sustain or to have your family? And I don't know about you, but I see families ripped apart all the time every week. Because they all call the pastors. 
And when, we, when we, we're here, that's why we're here, to help people. And the enemy, he comes to kill, steal, and destroy your family. And this morning, the enemy is going to get his rear end kicked in the name of Jesus. Because the Lord, he wants to raise up families. He wants to protect family. He wants to send out your children to change the world. So no job is more important than your family. Look at what happens in verse 43. And when the feast, according to custom, and when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it. Wow. How many dads have lost their children in the grocery store for just like a minute and never told mom about it? I was thinking about this more. I'm thinking, have I ever done that? Maybe once or twice. I mean, do they really have to know everything? Yes, probably so. Probably would help. I'll have some confessing to do after service, Allison. But they lost Jesus. His parents did not know he stayed back in Jerusalem. Now, parents, you feel like you blow it sometimes. Joseph and Mary, they blew it right here. That should encourage you. Verse 44, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. They went a day's journey. But when they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances, and when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem. Okay, now, they traveled. If you look at what the scripture says, they traveled. First of all, let's see, they were not helicopter parents, okay? Joseph and Mary they were not helicopter parents. They, they did not coddle Jesus. They didn't try to protect Him from everything in the world. And many researchers today blame the extended ad- adolescence in our culture on parents coming to the rescue too quickly for their children. Sometimes kiddos need to scrape their knee. Sometimes they need to get the feelings hurt. Sometimes they need to understand that life's not fair. And we'd be doing them a great disservice if we... Try to make them think anything else. Young man named Will, um, a former student, mine and Allison's at, at a separate church, different church, former church. Um, he was one of our students, and and every single time we had a worship service, the the kid never said a word. He he, he just didn't talk. Oh, that's Will. He didn't talk, and um, you, you, he would listen, but he just never talked. And so, uh, recently this week, he actually flew overseas to go to Central Asia for six months on, on hands program with IMB, International Mission Board. And I, I watched a commissioning service this week, and the, the kid's standing behind the pulpit, and he is talking about Jesus. He's proclaiming the gospel, thinking, who is this kid? And so, and he, he prayed. It was powerful. He said, he said, I know a lot of you want to pray for me, because he's going to a country in Central Asia with the last name Stan. Okay? And so, he there's a lot of Stans over there. And he said, I know you want to pray for my safety, but I, I would prefer all those prayers you're praying for my safety to apply them to praying and asking uh, God to protect me from the schemes of the devil. And I thought, I am so proud of this kid, I could punch him in the face if he was here in front of me. But it, it, the question for us to ask this morning, is the mission more important than our safety? Is the mission more important than our safety? And so, uh, an application for verse 45 that we see, they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him, is that parents, here's the truth, 
you will make mistakes. You will. We will make mistakes. Be encouraged. Mary and Joseph lost Jesus. They were a day's journey from Jerusalem. Now, do you know how far a day's journey is from Bay St. Louis? You can drive to Dallas in a day's journey, in a car. You can drive to South Carolina in a car. And you can travel to Mexico from Bay St. Louis in 12 hours. Now, picture if Mary, mother of Jesus, was here hanging out with us in Bay St. Louis and her her little boy, Jesus, is hanging out in Mexico. Now, parents, picture if you're here and your kid's in Mexico and nobody knows where he is, I mean, that is like crisis moment. The Bible says they were a a day's journey away from Jerusalem. And guess what that means? How long does it take to get back? Another day's journey. I mean, you can't call up Southwest and just bounce over back to Jerusalem. And so, two days, just wondering, what in the world? And by the way, they didn't know for a fact that he was even in Jerusalem. It's not like they could call anybody. They couldn't Skype anyone. They couldn't send a text message. Hey, have you seen Jesus? If he's there, we're going to come. They just, you know, every... Option and moms do this a lot. Think of every scenario that possibly, possibly could the, the worst case disaster. All of that went through Mary's mind, and, and then they have to get to Jerusalem, and they still don't know where he is. So it takes a full day to search for him. So three days, Jesus was lost, and so Mary, instead of crying out like in Home Alone, Kevin, she's crying out, Jesus. Like where, and she wasn't using the Lord's name in vain. Like she was seriously, she was looking for Jesus. And so they searched in the caravan at first. They thought, well, maybe he's hanging out with John the Baptist. Maybe he's with his cousin. And, and they probably traveled in caravans a lot of people because it's safer to travel that way. You know, maybe he's in the back of a wagon playing checkers. But no, they couldn't find Jesus. And so they returned. And when they finally they found him. It's incredible what they saw. Look at what happened. They returned to Jerusalem searching for him. Verse 46, after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them, and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. Is this not an incredible passage? Fascinating. Mary and Joseph were not perfect parents, and their son turned out okay. Know what I'm saying? Now, they had a competitive advantage, but nevertheless, we can find encouragement in that. And and so, Mary, her response, it is so funny. She says, and his mother, verse 48, and his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? I know there's some moms and dads in the house that you want to say that to your child right now. Why? Just why? Why Why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. Why? Child, why, why do you make me so distressed? And look at the Lord's response in verse 49. He said to them, why were you looking for me? 
Did you not know that I must be in my Father's house? Now, it appears at first glance that Jesus is being a smart aleck. But he's not. He's he's being sincere. You see, 12-year-old Jesus has already come to understand that he's a little different. That he is the Son of God. That he is the Messiah. That he is the chosen one. And so what the Lord is saying, he's saying, why are you looking for me? You already know by now that I'm about one thing. I'm about one thing, and that is my father. And so, mom, come on, mom, you know that I'm about one thing. And I was at my father's house. That's what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm the Messiah. God, mom, don't you understand this? And look at Mary's response. Well, verse 50, at first they didn't understand all the things he was saying. They did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth. Nazareth. And was submissive to them. Wow. Students in the house, you have no excuse for for not obeying your mom and dad. Because Jesus was God, and He made Himself submissive to their authority. What an example for us as believers. The boss of the world, God in flesh, Emmanuel, made Himself submissive to His mom and dad, earthly parents. That's incredible. And so if Jesus Christ can submit to authority, then... Who do we think we are when we choose to rebel against the authority that God has placed over us? One of the most popular preachers, by the way, if you need an incredible podcast to listen to, sermon podcast, a guy by the name of Ron Dunn. Anyone ever heard of him? Phenomenal teacher of the Bible. Listen to what he says. If you want to be a conqueror, you must first be conquered. If you want to be an overcomer, you must first be overcome. If you want to be a master, you must first be mastered. Your victory in Christ will be in direct proportion to His victory over you. If there is an area in your life in which there is repeated, repeated, repeated failure and defeat, then there is a good sign that this is an area in your life in which Jesus Christ is not absolute, unrivaled Lord. If you want to be a conqueror, you must first be conquered. If you want to exercise authority, you must first submit to authority. Well, that's the problem right there. We don't like that part. All of us want to be conquerors, but no one wants to be conquered. And true biblical Christianity bids that we come and we die. And we give up our rights, all of them. And then we take up our cross and we deny ourselves. And when we do, we will find life and life abundant. Do you know this life in Christ? I mean, if they came today, I don't think it would happen, but let's say that You know, the government sent people, soldiers, into this church building. 
and said, hey, if you will denounce Jesus, we'll let you go home. Well, in fact, you can go eat lunch somewhere on Highway 90, and, and you can go, you're, you're fine, we won't, we'll even wipe your name out of the database, like you're good, you're, you're, you're cool. If you will denounce Jesus, deny Jesus, and we'll let you walk out of here. But the rest of you, if you will not denounce Jesus, we're going to arrest you. Now, I'm not even talking about getting beat up or any of that stuff. Like, we're just going to arrest you civilly. Like, we're going to put handcuffs on you, we're going to load you up onto a school bus and take you down to the, the jail. Now, I wonder how many of us, if that were to happen today, are going to cave. How many of us will say, man, Jesus, I don't know who you're talking about. No, I don't know him. Well, I used to, I used to you know, we're done with this. I wonder how many women will look at their husbands and say, what are we going to do? And, and how many of those men... How many of us will say, I think we need to go. I think we need to slip out of here. You see, the problem in this culture, in in our culture, is that so many of us, we have our own version of Christianity that we've made up or that we've been taught. And it, it's called moralistic therapeutic deism. And you've heard the term, you've heard me say it before. Listen to this. It's the belief, it's the thinking in our culture. Listen to this. It's blatant heresy, but it's so close. Just listen to this. A God exists who created and orders the world and watches over human life on earth. Okay? God wants people to be good, nice, and fair to each other as taught in the Bible and by most world religions. The central goal of life is to be happy and to feel good about oneself. God does not need to be particularly involved in one's life except when God is needed to resolve a problem and good people go to heaven when they die. Friend, that is heresy. That's not biblical Christianity. But it's inside of us because it's in our culture and it's been ingrained into us and many of us have been brainwashed. C.T. Studd, famous missionary, said, If Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for Him. Do you know this kind of life in Christ? Raising up the next generation. You know, research, Barner Research says that 59% of our students in the nursery, children's ministry, and student ministry, 59% of them will disengage from the church when they graduate and they go to college. 59%. That's what the research says. Now, I'm no scholar and I'm no scientist and I'm no researcher. But I disagree with that statement. I disagree with that research because my experience coming out of the background of student ministry the past 11, 12 years, most of the time students that are in middle school, by the way, most the, the majority of students... When they're getting to middle school, that's when they're deciding who they're going to be, okay? And by the time they get to high school, a lot of them, I mean, they've already decided what path they're going to. Now, praise be to God that God can change and He can intervene. And there are high school students, there are college students, there are people in their 50s, there are people in their 80s that can change and be saved and 
and, and the Lord can change anybody, right? He's in the life-changing business. People can and will change by God's power. But most of the time, if you see a middle schooler who has already decided, God's already done a great work in their life, they've surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, and they are tr- even just trying to, to once a week, and especially if they're having a quiet time every day, and their, their faith is real, okay? It's real. And they've already decided that they're willing to be persecuted and made fun of and be different for the sake of the gospel. Those kids, for the most part, they're going to be fine. They're going to do great because I've seen it. I've seen it year after year. In fact, when they go to high school, they're going to flourish. When they go to college, they're gonna, their faith's not going to drop off. Their faith is going to take off because it's real. And that's, that's my experience. But the problem with this research is they interviewed a bunch of church kids. You know what I'm saying? They probably interviewed a lot of people that went to church, right? But their faith wasn't real, just like many adults today. That's why we give an invitation to receive Christ, because we're not so naive that we believe everybody here knows the Lord. We do it because there's always room at the table. There's always the Lord's convicting hearts. He's drawing lost people unto Himself. So students in the house, kiddos, you don't always have to agree with mom or dad. Okay? In fact, it's okay if you think they're a little weird sometimes. But God Almighty expects you to honor them. And He gave us that example. And even if your parents are already in heaven, You can still honor them. By the way, if your mom or dad who is in heaven, and knowing all they now understand about eternity and about the Lord, if they could peek back into your life, would they be proud? Would they see a life that is submitting to the authority God's placed in your life? Would they see a life that's on fire, that's that's living on purpose for the Lord? Or would they see a self-centered, absorbed life created on having your best life now? Would they be ashamed at your life? Or would they be proud because you're investing your time, money, energy into the kingdom? Because see, their perspective in heaven is perfect. Right? Like it all makes sense. Like life on earth is a small vapor. Life on earth is not home. Their perspective is different. And when you go to heaven or hell, your perspective will be different. Our perspective will be different. So, let's look at the last two verses. Well, we already looked at verse 51. Let's look at 52. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. That's what we pray for the children of this church. We pray and we do everything within our power to ensure that they have the best opportunities to grow into lifetime disciples of Christ. I mean, we could get, you know, we could get hundreds of of young people, teenagers and and, um, children and preschool. We can get them here. You know, we could do some gimmicks and and pull some strings and, and, and have big crowds. But the Lord has not called us to do that. He's called us to make lifetime disciples. Lifetime disciples. Psalm 78, verse 3-4. through 
things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us, we will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and His might and the wonders He has done. If you take, if you do the math and you see how many weeks that we have with our children, birth to 18, okay, first 18 years of life, that's 936 weeks from the time baby is born until they grew up. 936 weeks. If you have a three-year-old today, they've already lived three years, then you only have 780 weeks left. If you have a six-year-old, you only have... 624 weeks left to influence them for Jesus Christ. If you have a 10-year-old this morning, you only have 416 weeks left to influence them. So from birth to 18, 6,570 days. Birth to 18, 6,570 days. Now that's not to say... That, you know, after those days that you're never going to see them, right? Like, you're still in their life, and, uh, you know, hopefully as, as the years go by, they become, uh, you know, a little bit more of a friend relationship with your kiddo. Does those, those numbers, do they terrify you, mom and dad? And, and the reason I share it is not to depress you. But when we realize how much time we have left, it seems to change the way that we use our time now. And life's too short. Life's too short to go through the motions. Life's too short to waste it. I'd like you to turn us quickly to Psalm 127. Psalm 127 in the Old Testament. Psalm 127. Psalm 127 says, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. For He gives to His beloved sleep. In other words, it's not going to help you to be anxious when you can't control everything. And the Lord gives us sleep when we rest in Him. Behold, hear this, behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb, a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Blessed is is the man, blessed is the woman, who fills their quiver with children. Now, do you know what a quiver is? It's what ancient warriors used to put their arrows in, right? And, And they put that quiver where they could get to it quickly, whether it was 
I mean, it was preference of the warrior. Before, the, before gunpowder came along, they, they shot a, a bow and arrow, and then what did they have to be ready to do? Grab another arrow, right? Like Robin Hood, just firing them off. I mean, you guys seen Lord of the Rings, and that guy with the long hair and just starts taking people out? Isn't that, isn't that awesome? You don't know what I'm talking about? Okay. But, you know, Robin Hood. But a quiver, when those warriors, when they were getting ready to put those arrows into that quiver... They made sure that, that the bow was strong and then they made sure that the arrowhead was sharp. And they didn't put those, those um, the arrows, they didn't put them in the quiver for looks. They didn't, they didn't put them in there uh, for trophies. They didn't put them in, in the quiver so that people could just come and look at them. See how nice they were. But they put those arrows in the quiver for a purpose. And the purpose was to shoot them out. And parents, grandparents, it's a great temptation. We are tempted to want those arrows just to sit in the quiver, to be beautiful, to have great potential. But it comes a time when they must be shot out into this world. Because the world is desperate and broken and lonely and filled with no hope. And the best thing that you and I can do, the best thing that this church can do, is to send out an army of young people into this world to be church planners, to be businessmen, to be doctors, to be school bus drivers, to be teachers, to be educators, to be mechanics, to do whatever God gifts them to do for a career, and they leverage that career to make disciples. What if our children, what, what if our whole life, for the most part, comes down to us impacting someone else, and then that person, God uses them to take the gospel to the nations? I mean, parents, are you okay with your children surpassing your influence and surpassing your impact on the world? What if our greatest impact came not from what we accomplished for the Lord, but what if our greatest impact as a church will be what the next generation does for the kingdom of God? Would you be okay with that? I would. It's got to start somewhere. And God's not looking for perfect, perfect parents, perfect grandparents. He's looking for somebody that will just try. Just had a little bit of faith. We will not hide them from their children, Psalm 78 says, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and His might and the wonders that He has done. May we not hide this morning, but tell the glorious deeds of the Lord, of His might and the wonders that He has done for us. We're about to have a time where we respond. And we trust that the Lord has, has said something to you through His Word. And maybe for you this morning, you're thinking, I have no idea how this impacts my life. I don't have kids. In fact, that thought terrifies me. But nevertheless, if you're a believer this morning, God has called you to engage with a lost world. To be a part 
of loving people and pointing them to Jesus Christ. And the problem, most often, is that we try to do that on our own. We do. We try to walk out of here, and we try to love people, and we try to talk about Jesus, and we try to make disciples, and we try to not let sin ruin our life. And, and so often, we're trying to do that on our own strength. It's not going to work. And we don't have to. That's why the Lord gave us the Holy Spirit. Jesus told the disciples, I'm sending you the Helper. And so the key for all of this, you know that psalm said, unless the Lord does it, right? Unless the Lord builds this house. That's the key. And so this morning, it's so crucial for us to throw our white flag up and say, Lord, I surrender. God, I want You to conquer me. God, I want to be an unworthy servant. God, I want to be, be chained to You, God. And whatever path You want me to go down, Lord, I want to do it. And God, if it means that I'm ridiculed and made fun of at the schoolhouse, and God, I'll do it. God, if it means if there's people in the church that would look down upon me because I don't let my children do the things that they let their children do, then God, I'll do it. I mean, what's the goal? Is academia, is that the goal for our children? For them to have perfect grades and for them to be successful and, and have some bunch of trophies from, you know, this sport or this sport. Is that the goal? I have a state championship from 2002. I played wide receiver in safety, and I haven't wore that ring in 15 years, and nobody really cares. And even if you win the Super Bowl, the next year, nobody cares about that. I mean, what's the goal here? What's the goal? For them to be happy? No, friend. Don't buy into the lies that have been preached in, all over this country. The goal is we raise them up to be lifetime disciples of Jesus Christ. And at the end of the day, we can't make them. They have to, they have to decide for themselves. But we can plant the seeds. And as a church family... We can leverage our resources and our lives for this purpose. Let's pray.